This morning, I wanted to actually, as we end this uh, seven, eight-part sermon series on spiritual intimacy with God, what I wanted to do, you guys, was actually give you uh, a list of questions that I wanted you to, I wanted you and I to kind of think about. These questions were written by a guy named William Williams. William Williams, who is a profound influence within the Welsh revivals during the Great Awakenings. And what they did was a group of men and women get together each week, and they would ask these questions to one another. And I said to Pastor Michael this morning, I said, I now want to get these questions out to all of our small group leaders, so you don't have to jot this down. This will be sent to you. Because I was wondering, what would happen if we together as a church community, when we got together, we sat and we spent a, a chunks of time just asking these questions and asking the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Let me give you an example. They would get together and they would ask this, how real has God been to your heart this week? How clear and vivid is your assurance and certainty of God's forgiveness and His fatherly love? To what degree is that real to you right now? Here's another question. Are you having any particular seasons of delight in God? Do you uh, really sense his presence in your life, sensing him giving you his love? Uh, I said this morning to the 9 o'clock service, and I want you to just kind of brush this off or shrug it off. I, I need you guys to, I need you to kind of open your heart and with as much honesty as possible, ask these questions for you. Here's the third question. Have you been finding Scripture to be alive and active? Spent a couple of weeks on this, right? Instead of just being a book, do you feel like Scripture is coming after you? Here's another question. Are you finding certain biblical promises extremely precious and encouraging? And if so, which ones? Again, if you could see, just humanly speaking, why... It's just a powerful move of God as men and women gather together and over Scripture and prayer. They just ask these questions to one another and prayerfully kept you accountable and challenge one another towards a real experience of the presence of God. Here's another one. Are you finding God's challenging you or calling you to something through His Word? And if so, in what ways? In what ways? Is God real to you? Is God real to you? Encountering Him. And the last question, are you finding God's grace more glorious and moving now than you have in the past? Are you conscious of a growing sense of evil in your heart and in response, a growing dependence on God and grasp of the preciousness of the mercy of God? And these guys would argue that all of these questions essentially came to this point. It is someone who is growing in their awareness of the truth of the gospel. Is this happening to you? Is this happening to me? These are essentially questions that we've been asking for the last seven, eight weeks as we've been talking about spiritual intimacy. And what we said was this, and we began with the most unbelievable premise and promise that in the very beginning of time, our God created, heavenly created, the creator of the world created us for intimacy with him, an intimate relationship with the creator of the world. And we've defined intimacy this way, to be fully known and to be fully accepted without any fear of rejection. 
And it's been amazing how many times the conversations I've had with people in our church who say, you know, Peter, that, that's just like a human need. It's a human innate longing. There's not a single person here sitting today saying, I don't have no need for that. I don't want to be known and I don't, wanna, I don't want acceptance and not fear rejection. Every single one of us, some of us in huge degrees and some of us less so, but every single one of us longs for intimacy. Why? Because God created us this way. God created us to relate to him in the context of intimacy and that we would relate to others in the context of intimacy, but through dysfunction and through hurt and through sin in other people's lives, as much as we resist, as much as we push away from, as much as we do these things about intimate relationships that are vital to us, at the end of the day, we can't shake this longing at the core of our hearts and our souls. It's almost as if when man decided, I'm just going to do this without you, a plug was pulled. And some of us, our hole is pretty big. It's pretty profound. It's pretty. And we try and shove things into that hole to get rid of the sense of discontentment, sense of dissatisfaction, sense of no peace, sense of huge restlessness in us. And some of us do it via money, finances, job, that career, it's relationships. Some of us do it through ministry, which is just as bad, through service, through volunteer. No matter what, though, we shove, we shove, we shove. We just can't shake it and lay alone at night and go, is this it? The most profound sense when the plug was pulled, sense of intimacy with our God was ripped. We spent the first three, four weeks talking about though. So what does God do? God doesn't just go, well, you had your chance. He begins this process. He initiates the process of reconnecting, reconciling all things to himself. God does. It's amazing. God pursues us. And we talk one week about the covenant that God makes and the covenant that God enters into mankind where unconditionally he says, this is what I will do for you from beginning to end. Huh. And the last two weeks, we got real practical, right? And some of you resonate with these more than others. I realized that there, for a lot of us, we came from church backgrounds where all we were told was what we needed to do, right? So we were told we need to pray, we need to read the Bible, all these things. And we were never really told the fundamental, basic, anchoring power of the gospel. And so when we came to this church, like, we love the gospel, and we go, we're going to do away with the spiritual disciplines. But here's the truth we need to wrap our brain around. Right beliefs doesn't just automatically result in right character. Many of us here believe the right things, but we're no different from people who don't. Why? It's right beliefs coupled with practices and disciplines that result in character transformation. And so if we're one of those people who's like, ah, who needs the spiritual disciplines? That's what I used to do. We come into grips with the fact that foundational to spiritual intimacy, spiritual vitality, is recognizing that the foundation is the gospel, but then like any other relationship, communication, prayer, scripture, time alone with God, time in community with others is vital. But you know what? More than anything else, all the emails that I've gotten, the number one thing people have said, this is the reason why I've struggled with intimacy. People have honestly said, I don't trust God. I don't trust him. And we talked about that throughout this sermon series. How can you be intimate with someone you don't trust? You can't. If you don't trust somebody, you're going to hide. Hide certain areas of your life because you fear their rejection. And the amazing thing that I'm finding out about Christians is, is a lot of us live in we live in denial that we don't trust God, and it's kind of dormant. And then something happens to a certain area of our lives, and we explode. 
I can't tell you how often I've seen that as a pastor. We just explode. And all this anger and all this. What what happened? We don't really trust God. We don't believe that he's good, that he's gracious, that he's kind, that he is just, that he is holy. And when something happens where God crosses our will, watch out. And the question that I've been posing and pressing to you throughout this sermon series, do you trust him? Don't just give lip service. Do you trust him? Do you believe who he says he is? And do you believe that he is going to do what he is going to do? Do you trust him? Without trust, intimacy will always be elusive. Trust. Now, here's the thing. How do you know if you trust him or not? I'm going to end this sermon series on one of the most practical, basic, fundamental aspects of relationships with God. Relationship with God. How many of you guys worry? Okay. We're going to talk about the telltale sign that God says in his word. You want to know if you trust me? Here it is. Matthew 6. It's a very familiar passage. Now, here's what happened this morning. Uh, there he is. This morning? Yeah. Was it painful? In a good way. <laughs> it, it was? Okay. It's very painful for me, especially, you know, and for, uh, it's just very painful because we're, Jesus, the spiritual surgery, and that's really painful, you know? But Jesus is not a butcher, He's a surgeon. He knows how to cut in just the right way. But here's what I said we have to be honest with ourselves. Can we do that this morning? Church, yes? All right. So Matthew 6 is where we're at. Matthew 6 is where we're at, okay? Matthew 6, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more important than food and the body more than clothing? Real quick, guys, can everybody look up here? See, we in the 21st century in America do that. You know, we could preach this, and I will too in some ways, and go, well, it's very metaphorical. You need to worry about food and clothing, because most of us sitting there going, I know where I'm going to eat. I know my clothes. So we just kind of Go, well, it's like an illustration. Can we just be real this morning and say there are men and women in our church for whom really next meal, where it's going to come from, they don't know. Clothes am I going to have on my back? They don't know. It's a reality. I'm not talking about people just out there. For people in our church even, that it's a reality. And that it speaks to them very differently than it may to some of us. I just thought I'd acknowledge that for us to realize. vast majority of us, though, when we read that, we go, food, clothing, Food and clothing, remember, were basic essential elements in first century Palestine. So here's what Jesus is saying. Don't be anxious about your job. Don't be anxious about retirement. Don't be anxious about who you're going to marry, whether you're going to get married, and how you're going to get married. Don't be anxious about school and tuition, things like that. Don't, to which we go, if you're paying careful attention, you go, Jesus, who wants to worry? Do you ever think about that? He's commanding us. Don't worry. Do not be anxious. To which I want to go, do you think I want to worry? How many of us this morning got up and said, I can't wait to be anxious today? Anybody? Nobody wants to worry. It's not a voluntary thing. And yet Jesus commands us. Don't be, three times, 25, verse 25, verse 31, verse 34. Don't be anxious. Do not worry. But Jesus as he is so loving and so gentle, even though he's firm, he doesn't just kind of, you know, like a drill sergeant, millet, you know, kind of like Marine Corps sergeant, like, stop worrying, son. Stop it. Don't worry. He doesn't do that. He comes and he does for, for, for surgery. He goes, let me tell you why you're anxious. 
Let me tell you the source of that. And because I love you, we're going to begin to address the source of that. All right? Because most of us, I think, live in denial, because I saw like maybe, you know, like 15 hands go up about whether you're worried or anxious. I thought we'd do a little test. Is that okay? A little group participation thing. Okay? Please don't be a jerk and go, no, I don't. Please participate. Okay? I need you to, if you are really good at math and you can keep score and do like two, three things at the same time. Actually, no, no, no. Write it down. Write it down, okay? Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you a series of nine questions, and each of the questions is going to get a number, a zero or a three, okay? Uh, John Ortberg was incredibly helpful in preparing this sermon, and he has a, a book, and in his book, uh, he has this thing called a test to worry about, all right? And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you these questions, okay? And zero is not at all. And three is like, yes, definitely. And then, you know, obviously one and two in between. I want you to keep a score of each question, and then we're going to tally it up at the end, okay? And we're going to see where we are. First question is this. Do you wish you worried less? Zero? Nah, not at all. To three? Most definitely. Okay? One, two. Second question. Do you sometimes, do worry sometimes pop into your mind and take over your thinking like annoying little gnats? <laughs> there he says, that's a three. Okay, question number three. Do you find compliments and the reassurances hard to take? Huh? Okay. Question number four. Are you more concerned than you wish you were with what others think of you? Let's just skip this. Everybody put a three. Everybody put a three. We're going to move on, okay? Everybody put a three. Because if this is not a three for you, you're lying, okay? All right. Let's go on to the next one. Five. How much do you procrastinate? And have you not finished the last question yet, okay? How much do you procrastinate? Zero to three. Zero to three. How much do you procrastinate? Spouses, let's not give each other dirty looks right now, okay? We'll just move on. Question number six, do you avoid confrontations? Again, everybody should put a three on here, okay? Outside of like three of us. Everybody should put a three, and we, okay? Do you avoid confrontations? Question number seven, three more. Do you ever feel compelled to worry that a certain bad thing might happen out of an almost superstitious feeling that if you don't worry about it, that bad thing will happen? While if you do worry about it, your worrying might actually prevent the negative outcome, sort of magically. You know who you are. You're doing that this morning, right? Get two more. Zero three. Do you worry about your worry? <laughs> Mike Chen. Can somebody look at Mike Chen? If he's got all threes, we could just end this exercise right now, okay? Do you sometimes seriously feel God is disappointed at your lack of faith? You know what? Okay, I'll admit, I do this. I, I, I go, okay, well, if I worried, then it might show a lack of faith, so I'm going to sort of fake it and act like I'm not worried because I don't want to be a man of faith, and somehow, I mean, this is weird, just twisted thinking, okay? Uh, next question, are you worried about what your score will be on this quiz? <laughs> you knew who you were. Right. So add it up. Add up all your scores, okay? Add up all your scores, okay? Add up all your scores, and then we're going to go and just, you know, he gives kind of, what is this, four sort of f descriptions or characters, attributes of where we might be. Okay, if your score is a zero, you are either a remarkably confident person or else you are in absolute, total, and utter denial. 
Okay? So let's move on because nobody scores to zero. Second, if your score is on nine or less, the worry doesn't trouble you much. Very few of us probably not. Actually, I'm just curious. Anybody score nine or less? No less? Okay. All right. Next question. If you're between 10 and 18, which I think is maybe a lot of us, you may often find yourself troubled by anxiety. And then lastly, if you scored over 18, it may well be that worry is a major source of pain in your life. You may want to talk about this part of your life with some trusted friends, and it may be that telling a doctor or finding a good counselor might be helpful to you. Do you know what worry and anxiety, I'm not a doctor, but this is what I heard because I'm married to one. Um, worry and anxiety, its physical manifestation is called what? Stress. I'm told that our body has something called the autonomic nervous system, that when we're stressed, our body has a way to sort of respond to that, right? To deal with fight or flight kind of the, the response. But here's the thing. Our bodies were not meant to every single day live in stress. And I've seen this happen to people. Because you either burn out, you burn up. Where God created our our bodies are not meant every single day to be exposed to perceived danger. Where it's emitting things in our bodies to fight this. Every single day, every single day. And there are literally some of you sitting here who's physically, you can't sleep, you can't eat, or you eat too much, or eat too less. Physically, it's gotten to a point where it is being detrimental to your health and to relationships with others. So even though we kind of, ha, ha, this is a serious, serious thing. The question is, why though? Why do we worry? Why are we anxious? Why? And Jesus has this brilliant, and yet, I'm warning you, it's going to hurt, brilliant insight to why. Look at what he says. Look at what he says, you guys. In verse 34 of Matthew 6, I'm going to jump all the way down, even though we're going to go verse by verse for 25. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, therefore, do not be anxious about, everybody, what's the next word? Therefore, do not be anxious about what? Tomorrow, for, say it again, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And Jesus lays bare here what anxiety is, what worry is. You know what worry is? You know what anxiety is? What does he say? How many of you can control tomorrow? How many of us can control? How many of us have power to control the weather tomorrow? How many of us has the power to control when the train gets there on time and it leaves on time? How many of us have the power to do that? It's funny. I'm reading Facebook posts because I was interested in this. And how many people? Friday, a guy wrote. He's like, I'm in traffic for two hours. Thank the Lord I'm not in control. I'm letting go. I'm letting go. Jesus, what Jesus is saying about this source of anxiety he says, you're anxious for tomorrow. In other words, you're anxious over something that you have no control over. What is anxiety? It's the desire to control that which we have no power to control. Can I ask you something? How many of you, when you think about the source of your anxiety, thank you, ask yourself, how many of you know that there's nothing you can do about that source of your anxiety? Raise your hands. Vast majority of us, that's what worry anxiety is. It's concern over something that is literally impossible to control. The problem is, we want to control. We want to control. We want to be able to control it. And we get really anxious. Why? We have no control. So we go from, I want to control. I've got no control. Anxiety. I want to control. I have no control. Anxiety. 
We are worried and anxious for tomorrow. What is tomorrow? Something we have no control over. But where does that come from? Why is it almost innate, inherent? What does this desire come from? Jesus says in verse 26, He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Verse 27, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Jesus says the reason why we're anxious is because we want to be like God. It's because we want the power God has. Peter, where do you get that from? Let me ask you a question. Jesus said, do not be anxious about adding another hour to your life. How many of us has the power to add an hour to the span of our lives? Do you see what Jesus is saying here? It's so beautiful, and it's just so, it's so painfully good. He goes, you're anxious. Think that you have a power to add another hour to your life, because if you worried enough, you might actually do a... You know what he's saying? He's saying, why are you anxious about that thing? And you have no, you have as much control over that thing as you have control over adding another hour to your life. Do you have power to add another hour to your life? He's saying, then why are you worried about whether you're going to marry, who you're going to marry, when, when you have no control over it? Why are you anxious and worried over something that you have no control over? Jesus is the estimation. We want to be like God. We want the power God has. Now, how many of us right now, before we get it, how many of us isn't going, yep, yep, that's, yep, that's me, that's me. I'm worried I'm anxious. Why? I want control. Why do I want control? I want the power God has. Because if that's you this morning, the rest of this sermon series will be less painful. If that's not you this morning, you're going, nope, still not convinced. I don't want to be like God. Jesus begins to the spiritual surgery. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, when you walk into a doctor's office, and the doctor gives you bad news. When you walk into your office or job and you get bad news by your boss. And all of a sudden we get anxious. We're worried. Because we're like, ah, ah, it's, ah, ah, it's getting out of control. This is uncontrollable. I have no control. Jesus is going, the only thing that's happened right there is the illusion that you've been living under, it's revealed. What's the illusion? The illusion that we thought we were in control. And the bad news that comes, it goes, whoa, oh my gosh, I'm out of control. She's going, only thing that happened right there is the fact that the illusion you were living under, which you thought was what? I'm in control of my job. I'm in control of my future. Jesus comes on and goes, you've never been in control. You've never been in control. You've always been totally vulnerable. You've always been totally dependent. Is this resonating with anybody? Can I, can I say something that was very hard for me to say this morning as a pastor? Do you know who doesn't struggle with this in our church? People who blew up their lives. <laughs> Nate, do you, does it resonate with you? There's like maybe like five people in this church who've blown up their lives. You know what I'm talking about? They've blown up their career. They've blown up their health. They literally almost killed themselves. Like they've blown up their lives. And what that's done, they've come to a place where they go, I'm not competent to run my life. I am not competent to run my life. 95% of us, we're walking around every day thinking, I'm competent to run my life. I'm competent to run my life. I'm competent to run my life. Until something happens to our lives, we go, I'm not competent to run my life. So I said this morning, whenever I hear these men and women in our church who go, I get the gospel. I get this whole thing. Why? Because I blew up my life. I, 
I blew up my life. And I go, what do you think it'll take for everybody else? And they go, they might need to blow up their lives too. I'm going, I'm going, but I love you. And I'm going, if I can spare you, listen to me. If I can spare you from you blowing up your life so that the illusion that you're living under, the illusion is blown up that you're not in control. You'll never understand the gospel. The essence of the gospel is us going, I am totally incompetent. I am totally dependent on you. I am totally vulnerable. And there but grace, but by the grace of God, there I go. And so part of me is like, God, if you need to blow up our lives so that we come to a place of going, I've never been in control, please do it. And then other part of me is like, no, I don't want you to. But then I realize God's going to do what God's going to do. So, And you know what? You know what? If you talk to people who've learned this through experientially, you know what they go? I haven't ever heard one person go, so I regret everything that's happened. Not one person who said that ever. You know what I do hear a lot? Worry, worry, worry. Anxiety, anxiety, anxiety. Why? I'm in control, I'm in control, I'm in control. Got to do it, got to do it, got to do it. Got to make it, got to make it. Don't you want to be freed from that bondage? Don't you want to be freed from the bondage of thinking that you have to run your own life? That you have to do it yourself? Who could carry that weight? Who among us can carry the weight of, I got to make my life happen the way I want it to? Who? Who could carry that weight? Worry, worry, worry. Anxiety, anxiety, anxiety. You know why Jesus says that? Jesus says that we're anxious because we disbelieve, actually, or dislike the fact that we're totally dependent on God for everything. Let me say that again. Most of us, our struggle is we either disbelieve or dislike the fact that we're totally dependent on God for everything. We don't believe it. We don't like it. That's where the anxiety comes from. Romans 1.17, Paul says what? Therefore, either they knew, although they knew God, they neither glorified him nor gave thanks to him. We're literally born. We come out of the womb going, nope, don't need God. Don't need anybody else. Yep, I'm going to do it myself. We disbelieve and dislike the fact. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Why is this such a universal sort of human instinct? Because, again, I don't need to know your story. I, I know that every single one of us at some point control, maintain, worry, anxiety. What, why is this such, regardless of age, class, gender? Well, what is it about that, that it's so universal? And the beautiful thing about Christianity is even though it says some really difficult things, it says it's so positive because it tells you exactly why we do what we do. Pascal, I got this quote from another pastor. Pascal, listen very carefully for the next five minutes because this may, in some ways for us, the light bulb that goes on about why we struggle with this. Pascal said this. He says, the greatness of man is so evident that it's even proved by his wretchedness. Wow. He says, for who is unhappy at not being a king except a deposed king? Do you know what he said? He says, the reason why we're, we're anxious. Do you know why we're anxious? Because we actually were created to rule as kings and queens on earth. Do you know that? I've never heard that before. Well, let me show you in the Bible, okay? So it's not just me making stuff up. Listen to me carefully, okay? Why we want control? Because we actually were created to be. Here, Genesis 1. Listen to what, listen to what uh, uh, the Bible says. Then God said, verse 26, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may what? Say it with me. Say it with me what? 
rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky or the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature. This is creation account. And this is, for me, was like the turning point in understanding this. He says the way God created us, and I'm going to make up a word. He created us to be steward rulers. Okay? Steward rulers. Here's what a steward is. A steward, in, in, in the biblical times, a steward was somebody who was second in command, okay, at a king's estate. In other words, he was a slave to the king. Listen to me. Slave to the king, but he was essentially a king to everybody else in that estate. Okay? God creates to be stewards. What did he mean? God created us so that we would worship God, we would submit to God, we would love God, we would be dependent on God, but he gave us the authority to rule over the entire, all of, all of created order. So God comes along and says, I'm creating you to be kings and queens. I'm creating you to rule over everything except God. Man and woman then said, we don't want to rule over everything except God. We want to rule over everything, period. We're not content ruling over everything except you, God. We want to rule over everything, period. And when man and woman decided, get off my back, I don't need you looking over me. I'm going to do my life the own way. We're going to come out from his rule and reign. We decided from this day on, I'm my own Savior and Lord. And we do it one of two ways. And we talk a lot about that in our church. Some of us do it religiously. I'm good. I'm moral. I go to church. I serve. You have to bless me, God. I demand this kind of a life. How dare you send these things in my life? You're your own Savior. All the way, we make our own rules. Nobody tells me what to do. I'm going to do whatever the heck I want to. Both are ways of being our own Savior and Lord. Now listen to this. Listen to this for the next few minutes. Here's what happens. When we wanted to be more than we were, we actually became less. When we wanted to be more than ourselves, you guys know what this is like. When we want to be more than what we were, we became less. When we want to be more than ourselves, we became less. What do I mean? The moment we said, God, get off my back. I'm going to do my life the way I want to do. Nobody tells me what to do. That moment, the intimacy that we knew with God, the intimacy, what is intimacy? To be fully known and to be fully accepted was absolutely severed. And when that acceptance and when that unconditional love was severed from God, insecurity and deep Fear came rushing into our souls. And the human condition is one in which we grasp for more power, we grasp for more control, so that we can deal with this deep sense of insecurity, fear, sense of insignificance. You do it with your jobs. We do it with our ministries. We do it with money. We do it with who we date. We do it with our marriages. Everything in our life is a desperate search. Desperate search to deal with this level of insecurity, fear, and insignificance. Every single day, you're trying to build your resume so other people can look at you and go, Ooh, look at that. He is somebody. You know this. It's like an ongoing survivor episode. We're trying to convince the jury why they shouldn't throw us off the island. Can you admit that you're doing that this morning? Can you admit that? Can I admit that? That when that relationship was severed, it's like every single day, insecurity, fear, I don't want to be insignificant, and all this. Why? Because God created us to be kings and queens of everything except God. And we said, no thanks, God. I want all. I want it all. And when that came rushing to our souls, more power, more control. But here's the thing. We feel insecure, right? So we try and control our environment. But the more we try and control the environment, we realize we're not very good at it, so we feel insecure. So what do we do? Insecure, 
I'm going to do more controlling things. The more I try and control, I feel more insecure. Oh, there I am again. I feel more insecure. Vicious cycle. Vicious cycle. Insecurity. I want control. Insecurity. I want control. Aren't you tired of living in that cycle? At which point do you go, why am I living in this vicious cycle? I'm going to stop. The way I'm going about dealing with my insecurity isn't working. More control, more control. God, I'm going to stop. Because no matter how much I try and control my environment world, this sense of worry, anxiety. Hmm. What's anxiety is the need for control of something that you and I can't control. What do we do about it? What do we do about it? And Jesus is so beautiful. He's so beautiful. How do you not love him when he does stuff like this? Listen to what Jesus says. He doesn't go, stop it. You're a bad Christian. What are you doing? He doesn't. He ministers in love, but truth. Look what he says in verse 28. Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Verse 29, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Verse 30, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you of little faith? You guys, for those of us that are familiar with this passage, we read that and it's like poetic poem, you know. Oh, he takes care of the birds. Oh, he takes care of the field. Do you know this? And so this passage, you know what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, here's the beginning of how you begin to address that, right? He goes, you got to think. You got to think. What, where do we get that? In our NIV Bibles, which is a weak translation, Jesus says, look at the birds. See the lilies. The actual Greek word is a word meaning consider. That's what some of our translations say, consider. In other words, consider is literally to ponder and to think. And Jesus is saying, you got to think. you got to ponder. you gotta, you, you, you got to think. you got to ponder. you got to dig deep into the truth and realities of who God is. Put it another way. The way to deal with anxiety is to stop listening to your heart and start talking to your heart. Come on. How many of us are great when we're worried anxiety to listening to our hearts? But how many of us, our hearts just talk ongoing nonsense when we're worried? Anybody? Anybody? We all know what that's like when we're worried and we're anxious. My heart will not shut up. Let me give you an example. When I'm worried about finances, my heart. I'm waiting at night, you know, it goes, so I have this conversation in my heart. My heart is speaking to my soul. My heart's going, Peter, the job market's volatile. Oh, people losing their jobs. What are, we, what, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What, what if you lose your job? What if you can't find another job? What if you can't find another job? What, what? You've never been good with money. You've never been good with money. You never really understood money. Where's that come from? Oh, I don't tithe. I don't tithe. I don't give. If I don't tithe, if I don't give, how the heck do I expect God to bless me? I feel terrible. I got to do something to feel my, make myself feel better. I think I'm going to go shopping. <laughs> How many of y'all know what that's like? Our hearts are nonstop talking garbage and nonsense. You know what I do? Lay in bed. Yeah, it's so bad. It's just going to be so bad. It's just going to be terrible. What's going and Jesus is going, the source of your anxiety is you listening to your heart speak nonsense to you. He says, what faith is, is stop listening to your heart. Start talking to your heart. Start preaching the gospel to your heart. Is anybody with me this morning? Preach the gospel to your heart. Say, heart, consider. Heart, think. Remember who God is. Remember what he has done. Think, 
consider preach and talk to your heart instead of just sitting there listening to your heart. By the way, some of you, if you're not a Christian, I mean, the wor- to me, the worst, most offensive thing I hear from non-Christians is when they go, Christians are dumb. They don't think. You know what faith is? Faith isn't checking your mind at the door. Faith is actively thinking about the truth of who God is and what he has done. Faith is confidence towards the world based on what God has said in his word. Faith is not passive. Oh, well, I'm just going to let these. Faith is active. Consider. Think. Ponder. How many of us this morning, can I just, how many of us, you're listening to this, you're going, I have never done that. You're sitting there going, I have never, I'm worried right now. I've never, I've, it didn't even cross my mind. I just, nonsense, you know, some of us. It's like we put music to it. There's like tracks to our heart speaking to us, you know. We know what the tracks are. Oh, my gosh, there it goes again. God says, tell your heart, consider, think, ponder. What do you say to your heart sitting there if you're asking me? (laughs) Do you just go, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. No, that's a dumb idea to go shopping. What are you thinking? No, you got to speak truth. What's truth? Jesus tells us, verse 31, Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Verse 30, For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Do you know what you consider? Do you know what you talk to your heart about? Do you know what you preach to your heart? The providential love of God, which says, My heavenly Father knows what I need. Can we say this together? My heavenly Father knows what I... Now, I know you don't believe it right now, but just fake it. Let's say it together. Ready? My heavenly Father knows what I need. You know what this is like? When worry and anxiety come, when just anxiety, you go, heart, heart, heart! Think of what God has done. He knows how many hair is on your stinking head. He knows how many tears have gone down your cheeks. Your heavenly Father emptied the treasury of heaven for you. And you think he could care less about your job, your relationships, your future? You, you, know, you know what anxiety is? It's daily text to God. God, yeah, you uh, emptied all of treasure of heaven for me, and you gave your son for me, but you don't know how to arrange my week. Send. To which God texts right back. You idiot. No, I just... <laughs> Sometimes I wish he would do that, though, don't you? Do you know why? Can I, let's just let up. The way we trample on God's love, would you put up with that if anybody else did that to you? I mean, let's just be totally real this morning. Would any of us put up with us being trampled on, our love for other people, the way we trample God's love, and yet every single day, daily text to God, you don't know what you're doing. How could you possibly know who I want to marry? Ah. 
I might lose my job. How could you? Consider. Think. Ponder. I'll tell you if, if you actually believe that or not. You ready? You sit there going, oh, I don't know if I believe that. I don't know if I do that. This is going to be hard. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul said this. He said, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God. Here it is. With chances, all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds and graduates. You want to know how you can get peace in that area? You want to know how you can peace it in that area? Mike, Thomas, are you listening? You want to know how you can get peace in that area that you are praying for? Peace in that area they're anxious about? Peace in those areas that you are anxious about? Here's what Paul says. He says, when you pray for that, he says, thank him in advance for whatever he sends. Thank him in advance. For what? <laughs> to which I'll go, oh, I can't do that. I know. That's why you're anxious. Thank him in advance for whatever he sends. How do I know... How do I know he knows what's good for me? John Newton, one of my favorite hymn writers, author, said this. Everything is necessary that he sends. Nothing can be necessary that he withholds. Everything is necessary that he sends. Nothing is necessary that he And when you realize that, you come to believe that everything that is happening is happening for me. That's what the promise of Romans 8.28 is. For God works for the good of those who love him. Here's what that means. When it says those who love him, it's not giving lip service like I love you. No, it's whatever that area is, you come to God and you go, God, I trust you. And I'm thanking in advance for whatever you send in that area. Open doors, closed doors. Him and not him. And her and not her. And that city, not this city, that job. Whatever you send, I am thanking in advance. Another way to put it, when you stop being the center of the universe, when you stop being the center of focus of attention, God says, that's when you begin to realize what it means to not be the focus and the center of attention. The moment that you say, I trust you, I've tried to be in control, I don't want to be in control, I'm relinquishing control, I'm letting go. Whatever you send, God, I'm thinking in advance. Whatever you send, God, I'm thinking in advance. Don't you sitting there going, well, what if he sends me something I don't want? What if he sends me something I don't want? What if he asks me to do something I don't want to do? What if, can I tell you something? Of course he's going to tell you to do something you don't want to do. Of course he'll send you something you don't want. Why? What's the use of having a king if you are the king of your own domain? What's the use of having a king? If you go, I know how to run my life. Thank you very much. Thank you for this salvation thing. I'm good to go. What's the use of having a king if you're saying to yourself, you don't need to tell me anything. I know exactly what I'm doing, where I'm going. Do you want a king? Do you want a king? C.S. Lewis said it best, right? He's not safe. Who said anything about being safe? But he's good, I tell you. He's good. He's good.
I'm sick and tired of sitting on my own throne trying to run my own life. I'm tired. Who could carry this weight? I, I can't. I can't carry this weight. Are you kidding me? You, you think you can? You think you and I have the ability to carry this weight of making sure that the world is maintained the way we want to? Ah! Good Lord, my coffee machine doesn't work in the morning. I'm like, I'm out of control. Coffee machine. What the heck? Matthew 6, we're almost done, almost done. But seek first the kingdom of God is righteous, and all these things will be added unto you as well. Everybody sing with me. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Okay, if you've come to our church, you know I'm like mocking that song and not actually being spiritual. Sorry. The reason why I do that is because I sang songs when I was little. I'm like, what do they even mean? Sounds good, right? Seek ye first had like four-part harmonies. Remember that? Anybody? Do you know what Jesus is saying here? The word seek is literally the word for worship. What Jesus is saying is this. Every single one of us this morning has one thing that's object of our worship. It's our non-negotiable. It's the thing that we ascribe our worth to. It's the thing that we would give our time, effort, energy for. It's the thing that is a source of your worry, source of anxiety. It's the thing that you're going, I'm going to make this happen no matter what. It is that thing. Jesus says every single person walking on the face of the earth has something that they worship. Seeking first. The thing is, you're like Mary and me. When last week he said, don't be anxious about many things. We've got all these non-negotiables, right? So some of us, our non-negotiable, our seeking first is our job. And here's the thing. So you're carrying the weight and the expectation of making sure that that idol, that God of your life is working out exactly the way you want to. And are you kidding me? You think you can do that? You think you can do that? That's how you're ridden with guilt, anxiety, and fear. Some of us, it's relationship. I have to have it. I must have it. And you're worried you're anxious. Why? Because you can't make it happen. Job, career, money financial security. The list goes on. He says, as long as these are your non-negotiables, you'll be racked with anxiety. Why? How can you possibly make sure that those things are happening the way you want to? Some of you are sitting here going, my life is meaningless. And I say this all the time. Of course your life will feel meaningless if the thing that gave you meaning is gone. I don't feel like I have a center. Of course you don't have a center. If the thing that was your center is gone, of course you don't have an anchor center. We say this every year. Jesus Christ is the only non-negotiable, only center, only life center that will completely satisfy you when you get him and will always forgive you when you fail him. If your job is your God, <laughs> when you get it, it's like, this is it, this is it, this is it, this is it. Or if you fail at it, it's a ruthless taskmaster that will drill you into the ground. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Jesus Christ, no matter how dark, no matter how difficult, Jesus Christ, the only center of negotiable. I, I found this quote by Corey Ten Boom, who's a survivor of the Nazi concentration camps. Did you get that? Survivor of Nazi concentration camps. She said this. So when a train goes through a tunnel and gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and you trust the engineer. I'm worried I'm anxious. It's not going to work out. No, 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 Christian Lennon. Jesus says, sit still and trust the engineer. Some of you walked in here this morning and you're this close to just bailing. Because you're going, this thing ain't working out for me. The promise of that is when you seek first my kingdom and all these things, he says, will be added unto you. Queen Elizabeth, the original one, once told a story about a man 
She wanted to, him to go on a voyage to the new world because his skills were needed on this voyage to make it a success. And the guy was just like, my queen, who is the monarch, owns all of England. <laughs> I'm a little businessman, and my business is falling apart, so I need to stay. In. And she said, my friend, if you will take care of my business, I'll take care of yours. You've got the creator of the universe. You hearing me? The creator of the universe saying to you in this promise, if you take care of my business, be about me first, I'll take care of yours. I'll take care of yours. It's so simple. And yet, as long as you're like, I'm going to be God, the power of God, I have control. <laughs> Seek first his kingdom. Thaddeus. See, as I end this sermon series, I, wanna, I just want to talk to two groups of people. Can I do that this morning? Just two groups of people, and then we're done. Um, there's a group of you. You consider yourself a Christian. You're a follower of Jesus. Now, I want to tell you this morning, there's a big difference between, and, and like, <laughs> big difference is, this, this morning between believing in Christ for salvation, forgiveness of sins, and believing Him, trusting Him daily, moment by moment. See, it's one thing to go, Jesus, I receive you and uh, for forgiveness of sins, and I want to be in. It's another thing entirely to go, and I trust you with my future. See, right now, you're like, theoretically, Jesus is Lord of my job, future career, but really, I am. I'm trying to make things happen and deal and network and call and worry and email. Do you trust him? Not just in him. Do you trust him? Are you concerned about job or marriage or future relationship? You're going, I will not wait for the man that, or woman that God says, I'm going to make it happen. I'm, yeah, dude, I'm going to. You know, as you believe in him, do you trust him? Do you trust him? Do you trust him? I was going to say, what's funny is after 9 o'clock, a guy came up to me. He's like, Pastor Peter, that whole thing was confusing because uh, I, shouldn't they be the same thing, you know? <laughs> I was just like, yes. <sighs> that those of us who believe in him should also trust him. And they go together. Do you trust him? you trust him secondly if, if you're not a christian i can just speak to you for a moment it's 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 interesting because i've actually had conversations with folks who come up to me and go you know peter i'm just not a man of faith i just don't believe like you do and i'll tell you something this morning there's only two doctrines in which we could base our lives two doctrines one doctrine says i'm competent to run my own life the other doctrine says god is competent to run my life only two see when somebody goes i don't have faith i gently but firmly go Dear sir or dear lady, you have tremendous faith. Tremendous faith in yourself and your ability to run your own life. And if I know them enough, I go, and you have evidence that proves contrary. You're successful in that area, but you are making a mess of all these other areas of your lives. Dear sir, it's not that you don't have faith. You're a man of tremendous faith. But your faith is in your ability to run your own life. Salvation faith is not I don't have faith. I need faith belief. It's transferring your faith in yourself to the work of Christ. So, you're sitting here this morning going, what must I do to be saved? Christians, I said this morning, you need to pay attention for the next two minutes because this is what it means to present the gospel to your non-Christian friends. Jesus Christ, one response said, what? Repent and believe the good news. That's how you become saved. Repent and believe the good news. Somebody asked, what does it mean to be saved? Repentance. What is repentance? It's admitting. That sin is us substituting ourselves where only God deserves to be, throne of our lives. That's what sin. 
Salvation is God substituting himself for where only we deserve to be on the cross, paying for our sins. The essence of sin is you admitting, not just that I've done some bad things, it's you admitting that you have been the Lord of your life and you've tried to control God, whether by morality and good deeds or by immorality and your own. Jesus Christ came and lived the life that we should have lived and died the death we should have died. First step towards salvation is you admitting, I've tried to take God's place. I stink at it. I no longer want to do it. I want to follow him. Second part of that is not just repentance, but belief. What is belief? It's not just saying, I believe these doctrines about Jesus. He is good. Belief is a transfer of trust in your ability to be acceptable before God by what you think you can do versus Christ and what he has done to make us totally acceptable to God by doing and living a perfectly righteous life so that when we believe in him, that life is gifted to us as his righteousness. Saving faith is saying, I don't come to be accepted before God by what I do and don't do. I come to be accepted before God by the work that Christ has done for me. So that it says in John 1, 12, to those who believed him, to those who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. Is saying, God, accept me into your family based on the work of Christ and Christ alone. He is your king. He is your beloved king. He is safe, but he is good, I tell you. He's good. Brothers and sisters, church family, be blessed this week as we continue during the season of Lent heading towards Good Friday and Easter. If you need prayer, prayer team will be up here as they always are after each service to pray with you and for you. You are loved. He is in control. Acknowledge that. Have a great week, and we'll see you back here, Lord willing, next Sunday.